Welcome again to my podcast. This is Gary Zacharias with The Apologist Bookshelf. I have a book that came out in the middle of 2022, so it's a pretty new book by Neil Shenvey, S-H-E-N-V-I. It's called Why Believe? Question mark. Why Believe? And uh, I was just uh, noticing what some of the people have said about the book. Sean McDowell said he hopes Why Believe gets the wide readership it deserves. And others uh, really go on and on about how wonderful it is. And I agree. I haven't even finished it myself. I'm about halfway done. So I thought I would take a look at the uh, first part of it and uh, give you a quick rundown on what's in the book. He talks, uh, he has an introduction. That's what I want to look at. And then he talks about something called the trilemma. Is Jesus a liar, a lunatic, or Lord? And so how he gets around that or how he t- tries to deal with that is the Gospels themselves. Are they reliable? And then he does a chapter on the resurrection, talks about the significance of it and the evidence for it. And then he talks about uh, the existence of God, looking out and looking in. So looking out is uh, nature, looking out into the world, looking out in the universe. And then looking within is the moral law. Where'd that moral law come from? And then he has a, a chapter called Arguments Against God, which I think is really useful because, uh, you know, you if you go out in the world, you're going to meet people that are going to say, well, that's interesting, but you'll have others that will say, no, that can't be a God because, fill in the blank. And he deals with three things here. One is the problem of evil. That's an argument against God. Evolution. You don't need God. We're all here, aren't we? We got here by evolution. And the hiddenness of God. And then he's got a chapter on the uniqueness of Christianity. And I think that is so important because we're hearing today, oh, all religions are pretty much the same. No, that's not true. So he takes on, for example, the area of sin and salvation. He looks at Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, and how they differ from Christianity. And he's got a chapter on Christianity and sin, sin in the world and then uh, salvation separately, and then conclusions. And I like that. I'm, I'm anxious to read this chapter. He calls it, uh, one part call is called, What's Missing from This Book? And uh, then he has the good news of the kingdom and things like that. So let's take a look at the opener, because I thought this was really valuable. And his uh, opening chapter is, uh, Why Believe That Christianity Is True? I mean, that's his title, Why Believe? He says, uh, you look around, and he said, human history is filled with religious violence. That's what people say. Uh, Many believe that because of all that violence, that if you start asserting some kind of religious truth, you're going to get bloodshed. And he uses Gandhi as an example. Gandhi was asking in an interview why people should avoid urging others to change their religion. What did he say? He said, proselytization will mean no peace in the world. And he said... um, he being Shenvi says, people that hold this view about how bad religions are for the world, that religious truth claims should be discouraged for pragmatic reasons. It's okay if you want to believe it personally and privately, fine. But don't publicly insist that you've got something true out there. How can you love people? How can you accept other people and you claim that what they believe is wrong? He said, other people are apathetic toward religion. Eh, why bother? I'm happy. I've got a good spiritual life, right? You hear people say that I'm spiritual, not religious. It's, um, I don't want to mess with Christianity. It's outdated. It's irrelevant. Maybe it had some purpose in the past, but it doesn't really have much to say to scientific modern people. It doesn't have any solutions that are useful. He said, then there are philosophical objections to the idea that one religion is true. 
I mean, a lot of people, he said, believe that all religions are essentially the same, and if that's the case, why ask whether Christianity is true? It's just true along with other religions. Then you get others say, well, no, wait a minute. Religious beliefs are true for the individual. They're not true at all in the big sense. So that's subjectivism. That's relativism. And that's crazy to argue that your religion is true. It's like arguing that your favorite brand of mayonnaise ought to be everybody's favorite. Not true. He tells the story of his own uh, coming to Christ, and I'm going to skip that one for now. But let's go to the next section here. He said, um, what about these questions that he posed at the beginning of the chapter? Shouldn't we avoid religious truth claims to have peace? Aren't all religions equally true? Can you even claim religious uh, beliefs as true or false? And why do we need religion? So these are some of the questions he's going to talk about here. And so I want to look at the first one. Should we avoid religious truth claims so that we can get peace? And he said, uh, you look at history and it shows that competing religious truth claims create tensions that could turn into armed conflict. He said a lot of people believe that. Uh, Christopher Hitchens in his book, God is Not Great, spent a whole chapter about religious violence. He says, well, what's the response to that? He said, we should note that religion ranks far below other factors as the primary cause of war. And he's got some statistics there, and I'll skip it. But he said the death toll of the bloodiest religious conflicts like the Crusades is dwarfed by secular conflicts like World War I. Oh, that was just killing fields multiplied, wasn't it? Or ideological killings like that great leap forward in China. So he said humans are, <laughs> this is pretty ironic and bitter. He said we should acknowledge that human beings are capable of massacring each other with or without religious motivations. Oh, that hurts, doesn't it? But it's so true. He said, more importantly, that you assert that people assert that religious claims should be avoided for practical reasons. That sounds neutral, but not really. It's a deep commitment to a particular ideological claim. What's that? That the key to long-term peace and flourishing is not found in one particular religion. He said, how do we know if that's actually true? If a religion is true, and he's not even arguing for Christianity here, but if a particular religion was true then its truth could have a huge implication for human flourishing. And he takes an example, Buddhism. If Buddhism is true, then pursuing our desires for temporary happiness is going to lead to endless frustration. And so if we discourage Buddhists from sharing this truth, then we're going to hurt human flourishing. And he said other religions like Christianity and Islam and Judaism and Hinduism also make claims. And if they're true, that would change human flourishing in the best way to achieve it. So if we're supposed to ignore human flourishing, it's kind of like saying none of these religions are true. And of course, that's going to be his argument as he develops in the rest of the book here. He says, in the end, we're back to our original question. Are any religious claims objectively true? Huge question. He'll get to that in the rest of the book here. Then here's another question that people say. Well, many people say, oh, well, yeah, sure, Christianity is true. All religions are true. And they give you the parable of the blind men and the elephant. And you probably know that parable, but uh, blind men are uh, touching different parts of the elephant and they each have different ideas of what the elephant really is. One grasps the tusk and said, uh, the elephant's a spear. Somebody else grabs the ear. No, 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 the elephant's is a fan. So the guy is arguing going on. Finally, a wise man comes along and tells them, these are all blind guys, right? So a, a sighted man comes along, tells them they're all holding an elephant. So in other words, their statements were true, but they just had a portion of the truth. 
So what's their belief? What's uh, some people's belief? All religions are true, but none of them is exclusively true. They just have a piece of the truth. Now, he said, yeah, but the catch with that is that that position doesn't take seriously the claims that are made by these different religions. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, if you're a religious inclusivist, you have to deny the reality of religious disagreements. And there are tremendous disagreements about who Jesus is, about God, about the afterlife, about what sin is, about how you make the most of your life here. There are, there are huge disagreements. Then, of course, there's the claim that some people say, well, no, religions aren't true in the sense of true for everybody, just having a piece of the truth. Um, there's another way you can avoid religious conflict. You don't argue that religions are objectively true. Instead, argue that they're subjectively true. In other words, they're not true for all people. Each religion is good and true for an individual. So that precludes the possibility of uh, conflict between religious claims. And he says, well, if religious inclusivism can't, can't avoid the problem of exclusive claims, maybe there's another way to avoid religious conflict. Some people think there is. So they say, well, we're not going to argue that all religions are objectively true. We're going to argue that all religions are subjectively true. In other words, there's, there's not any particular religion that's true for all people. Everybody's religion is subjectively true for them. So that should get rid of all conflict. He said, well, the difficulty with this view, of course, that all religions are subjectively true, is that some religions really do make objective truth claims. He gives the example of Christians believing that Jesus physically was raised from the dead. He said, how can you understand that except as an objective claim about the real reality, real history? It might be true or it might be false, but he said it doesn't make any sense to say that the tomb was empty, that that's true for me, but that the statement the tomb actually had Jesus' corpse in it is true for you. That, that doesn't make any sense at all. He said the same objectivity is a necessary element of all the biggest religious questions. Uh, does God exist? Did he create the universe out of nothing? Did Moses get the Ten Commandments? Did the Buddha attain enlightenment under that tree? Did the angel Gabriel visit Muhammad? I mean, these are real questions. They're not just questions of opinion. They're about objective reality. So he says in the end, I don't think either the religious inclusivism or religious relativism can deliver that will get rid of all religious conflicts. He says there's another position that you can take. Can't we just ignore religions? What if we're not interested if one religion is true? We can be happy. We can be spiritual without any kind of organized religion. But he said there are two reasons that we really can't avoid looking into the truth claims of religion in general and of Christianity in particular. And here they are. He says the tragedy of human existence and the magnitude of the claims involved. So what does he mean by that? Oh, well, first, he said... For hundreds of millions of people all over the world, life is pretty awful. We've got uh, misery, we've got hunger, we've got loss, we've got pain. He says, that's the world we live in. He said, the tragedy of human existence strips us of any claimed right to apathy. He said, if you've ever thought about death, if you've ever seen premature infants struggling to breathe, if you've watched somebody drift into dementia, you can't shrug off religion as a matter of indifference. And he says, secondly, the claims of Christianity merit our attention given their magnitude. It's, he says some truth claims are not very important. He said, if, if, for example, if somebody owns a first edition copy of A Tale of Two Cities, so what, if that's true or not? But he said the truth of Christianity is a matter of great importance if Christianity is true, 
then God exists. We owe him obedience. We're going to face judgment at death, and we have no hope of salvation apart from Jesus Christ. But he says, you know, you hear people say, well, Christianity might be true or might be false. I don't know. It doesn't really matter to do. He says that's irrational. It's huge. This is a major thing that you need to decide on in life. He says, we can't shrug our shoulders, yawn, and feign indifference. And he uses a quote from C.S. Lewis here, Christianity of false is of no importance, and of true, of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. And I think that's absolutely right. So that's his opening chapter. And uh, the rest of the book deals, like I said, with things like uh, Jesus, the resurrection, the existence of God, the central message of Christianity. So you can skip around in the book. You don't have to go in order. You can find areas that you're more interested in than others. But I would recommend this book highly. It's easy to read, uh, very thoughtful, and it's a pretty new book. So that means uh, there are plenty of copies available, and it'll make for good reading. I can see a small group, if you're part of a small group, this would be an excellent book to go through, a lot to digest here. If you don't feel confident enough or don't want to lead a group and actually come up with your own messages and all, you could do uh, chapters here and there in this book, and I think uh, people would really enjoy it. Get a lot of good, a lot of good meat there. Well, thanks for listening. We'll do another podcast soon. Thanks. Bye-bye.